Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Teams podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. Welcome to this episode of Why Language Matters. As most of you know, June is Pride Month. So this month we get to celebrate our LGBTQIA community members. And in this episode in particular, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what does pride mean? What does LGBTQIA plus mean? And all of the different ways that we talk about Pride Month. I'm Nicole Doyle. I am a leader here on our diversity, inclusion, and belonging team based out of Southern California. And I am a proud ally of the LGBTQIA plus community. My name is Fish Holder. I am a self support business analyst and the culture and belonging lead for the Pride ERG group at Sunrun. And uh, I use uh, he, they pronouns. I am a proud gay man and genderqueer as well. Hi, folks. I'm Lori Hanover. I'm the VP of Internal Audit here at Sunrun. I've been with the company now close to four years. I chair the Pride ERG group. My pronouns are she and hers. I'm Sean Paul. I'm a supervisor for the concierge preferred team that supports our direct to home sales channel. And I'm the retention and progression lead for the Pride ERG uh, at Sunrun and happy to be here and talk about why uh, language matters with regard to our community. I'm also a proud gay man and happy to be here having this discussion with you all. Hey there, my name is Disha Schultz. My pronouns are she, her and I'm a senior manager of scheduling on the field operations team and also the culture and belonging lead for the women's ERG. I want to get started with pride. I know we talk about two different terms a lot. I think everyone probably has heard the term pride. Somewhat knows what that's about. Maybe most people have heard what LGBTQ is and what that's about. And then maybe some other people know uh, the, the a little bit longer acronym LGBTQIA. So we'll kind of go into all of those. But first, I wanted to take a step back and talk about what pride means, why it started, maybe a little bit of history. Sure thing. You know, pride really came about after the Stonewall riots occurred in June 1969 at a bar in New York City in Greenwich Village called the Stonewall Inn. Times were very different then than they are now. It was really hard for gay people to have a public life without harassment by the police. So the Stonewall Inn was actually owned by the mafia. And um, while it allowed gay people to congregate, they were under constant threat of being thrown out and arrested. One evening, one hot summer evening in June 1969, a group of folks there decided, I've had it, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And they pushed back. And two minutes of rioting ensued, or rebellion, whatever you'd like to call it. And the first Pride Parades occurred a year after that in Los Angeles, New York, and a bunch of other cities. And so... For many of us, particularly allies or kind of new to the community, you might think of Pride as, oh, just a fun event to watch a parade and see some people dancing and buy a t-shirt and have a beer and a hot dog. 
but there's really a civil rights background uh, to pride that's important to those of us in the community. And so, you know, we feel really good having this platform here at Sunrun to be able to explain to our coworkers why it is that we do this. Thanks, Lori. Sometimes holidays can get lost in the celebration, and, and surely it is about a celebration a lot of times, but really just taking a step back to remember those who sacrificed a lot in order for people to have the rights that they have now. And certainly we're yeah. still, you know, we're still fighting. Of course. And I think in, in part of that fight is taking back some things that are yours. And I know that one term that is part of the LGBTQ, <laughs> uh, particularly the Q, is queer. So I, th I think that used to have a really, really awful connotation. Um, and I think it's being reclaimed. Is that right? That's right. Um, there was a really interesting op-ed piece in the New York Times on Sunday by Charles Blow that I direct you to, but he addresses this issue here. And he actually quotes the Association for LGBTQ Journalists, who has talked about the word queer as following, originally a pejorative term for gay, now reclaimed by some LGBTQ people, used with caution, still extremely offensive when used as an epithet, and still offensive to many LGBTQ people regardless of intent. Its use may require explanation. It's really interesting from my perspective, having been out for 30 plus years now, I bristle at the term still. In my head, it's something that people are shouting at you while they're beating you to death. And um, I have not fully made that transition to hearing the word without also having an internal cringe. Stepping back though, times change and and the movement changes, and that change really brings life and energy to our struggle. So while I might cringe internally, it's important to note, like you said, Nicole, that there has been this willingness to understand this is a word that we're going to use proudly about ourselves. And it also has this umbrella quality to so many of the different folks in our community, not only lesbians like myself or gay men like Sean and Fish, but the trans, bi, questioning, intersex, et cetera, community as well. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why we've decided to take that word and reclaim it. Queer has a lot of history with it. And I myself, I've been out for, oh gosh, like 10 years or so. Well, Kind of. I've been out to friends for 10 years, we'll say that. Yeah. And uh, my exposure to queer, just the language that was used around my area, unfortunately was a, a lot more other slurs. So when I was introduced to queer as like a concept, it was actually more in the academic sense of like what queer theory is and queer reading. That's what a lot of like peers my age, I feel like share is this like real drive to try and reclaim queer, particularly as it, it can become this marker of if we define uh, heteronormative, heterosexist even, society in one side, queer is the word that a lot of us are using to define what isn't. Like, rather than saying non-traditional or outside or othering, we are saying we're here, we're queer, we're proud. And we use queer as a way of saying we're not heterosexual. We are, we are outside of that kind of dynamic and let's have a conversation about it. 
Thank you so much. It's really interesting because I, I had thought for a really long time that queer was, you know, just sort of another term for being gay or being lesbian. And so I, I thought it was kind of just in that bucket, but it, it seems like it's much more broad than that. Again, queer has a lot of different definitions. So the, the way that I approach it is, again, a lot more from the academic sense. And when you get into queer theory, it's it's really kind of fascinating and intricate and and broad in that queer is a self-definition thing. And as an aside, if you were to go to a wonderful website that I love called queerundefined.com, which is a place where people of all creeds can submit their own definitions of all of these varied terms. And what's great is with those definitions, they include a brief statement on who they are and what their background is, like what their pronouns are, what their upbringing was, and how that might have affected their definition. But for a lot of my friends that identify as queer, they'll use that especially as they might bristle at the complexity of their own sexuality. Like um, if they're bisexual, but they, they have defined preferences and that, I mean, there are as many different ways to love as there are different people, as there are different gender expressions. And so what might be simplified if they were talking to someone who's not in the community, if they were talking to a straight person and they were just like, what are you? And they would say, I'm gay. Let's move on to a different subject if they're uncomfortable. But if they want to expand upon it, they might approach it with, I'm queer. Let's get into that. I'm demi-romantic. I uh, prefer the company of more masculine people. I'm an androphile. However, I'm more interested in X, Y, Z. And these are like intricate and interesting conversations that I feel like as you develop a queer community around you, it can become something that was maybe at one point really hard and really bristling and really uncomfortable, especially for people who are newly emerging out of the closet or for straight people who are trying to understand and become better allies and learn about the community. In my opinion and in my experience, I love the broadness and kind of the undefinition of it because it opens a space for conversations and nuance and complicatedness and not seeing that as like gross or unnecessary. It's, it's who I am. I am complicated. I am different. I am all of these incongruous things and we can celebrate that and enjoy that. I think of it in colors. You know, somebody can be like, I really like blue, you know, like that's my favorite color. And then somebody presents them with a really light sky blue and they're like, no, duh, that's not my favorite color. I told you it's blue. It's all such a spectrum. You can never place all, everything in a, a tight little box. Mm -hmm. And when used appropriately, again, with respect, because that, that is the thing. If you're using queer, you should be comfortable and understanding that you're using that word with respect. Um, it's a great can opener because it just opens up the can. It lets us talk about broader things. I love that. I wanted to jump into and talk a little bit more about the importance of reclaiming terms like queer, and also the importance that those of us who are members of the community use these terms proudly, and we use them openly, because it hasn't always been easy for queer people to just use that term openly and broadly and in a self-affirming manner. And I think back to when I was in my first job 15 or 20 years ago, and I love telling this story because it's, it's just really bizarre. I was a member of the University of Utah Pride Coalition, and I went to Pride one year and marched in the parade and wore a shirt that said, Queer You, and then you know, 20-year-old Sean decided it was a good idea to wear this shirt to work. I worked in a type of environment where it was physical labor. I was walking around in classrooms, actually. After school, I was a janitor. 
and it was in an elementary school. And uh, at one point, apparently a teacher became offended by the word queer on my shirt and reported me to my manager. And then my manager had a discussion with me about how it was inappropriate to display the word queer in the workplace. And of course, this goes back 15 or 20 years ago. And so it was a little bit of a different world. This is in the suburbs of conservative Utah, as opposed to, um, you know, the inner city where there's a little bit more diversity. And so what I found really interesting about that was that the reaction was either number one, that they didn't understand this concept that queer was a reclaimed word and that I was using it proudly to affirm this community. Or number two, they just didn't want this publicly displayed in, in the workplace. And either way, it was a little bit upsetting to me, but it sort of fortified in me this idea that where professional decorum is needed in a workplace and uniforms sometimes are defined for purposes of, of maintaining that professional workplace, it's still important to be able to use this language and to talk about being queer in, in an affirming nature. To Fish's point, to Lori's point, Nicole, your point as well, open up that broader discussion about identities and how we don't have to use these terms in a pejorative manner anymore. They don't have to mean that. They can mean something more affirming and something more positive. Yeah, in my experience, for as long as I can remember, I, I remember queer being reclaimed. 35 now. So, you know, I'm kind of one of the elder millennials. <laughs> I do remember, you know, a time where it was like this, you know, big deal, but it just in most of my life, there's just always a positive connotation, especially when somebody's like, I'm queer, you know, and I'm like, hell yeah, <laughs> you know? So it, it's always been positive for me, but I, I completely understand. Lori, you were talking about, you know, it, your experience with it is just so different. Queer Nation, which was founded in 1990 by former ACT UP uh, members, I think it played a key role in reclaiming the word. And I wonder whether from just generational perspective, your generation and younger may have always lived in an environment where the word had been reclaimed. Whereas someone like me, who's a Gen Xer, proud Gen Xer, grew up in an environment as a young child before that had happened. And so I'm able to live in both of those worlds, but quite honestly, I do do a little inner cringe when I hear it. One can tell if the word is being said with respect, right? I think Fish and Sean were talking about that. And I think that's the rock bottom here in any of our situations with coworkers or with friends. Even if we occasionally misspeak, there's a way to do things where you can telegraph to the other person that you respect them and you're trying to be respectful of them. And so that's really what all we can hope for as human beings that, you know, we try to reach out to each other with a sense of connection and respect. Absolutely. Respect is key. Just changing gears a bit here, I did want to touch on the LGBTQIA plus acronym that we talked about earlier. Would anybody be able to walk us through that and just sort of explain what each of those letters means in a very broad sense? I'm happy to walk it through uh, lesbians or women who are attracted to other women. Gays are men who are attracted to other men. Bisexuals are people who are attracted to either men or women. 
transsexual folks are people who believe that there is a disconnect between the gender that they were assigned at birth and the gender that they know themselves to be. We also have intersex individuals that happens in about half of 1% of all births where there is some degree of ambiguity in either the genitalia of a person or in their chromosomes. So they straddle the lines between the binary that we think of in men or women. In our LGBTQIA flag, we also have uh, asexual folks who seem to have uh, less interest in all of this connecting with others that, that some of us might. And the A can also stand for ally, which are wonderful people like Nicole and Disha and Hillary who choose to stand with us and learn more about our community and, uh, you know, our friends, neighbors, and coworkers that, that we really depend on. There was a uh, poor taste joke for a while about the increasing alphabet being added to that LGBTQ acronym as it grew. But I kind of want to emphasize we have space for everyone and that's why it has kind of grown from LGB to LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA. It I've seen it broader LGBTQIA, 2P, AC. Like it it grows. And there's space for all of those different identities. And we want to open that for discussion. Again, like if you're uncomfortable using the word queer, I, I love using LGBT. I think it's just as easy to get through. If you have to oversimplify as much gay, I think now people are understanding that that kind of like broadly encompasses a lot of people under the LGBTQ spectrum. But it is a spectrum and it grows and it changes. And there are as many different flags as there are acronyms for it as well. You got it. We thought that was a great description, Lori. And just wanted to add to that and, and to the discussion of the, the growing acronym. We often just use the plus now, uh, LGBTQ plus, just to say, hey, this community maybe started with LGBT people and now people who identify more broadly as queer, as we previously discussed. But that plus leaves the door open. And that can be an easy way just to acknowledge that this is an ever-growing community that wants to draw in others. One other thing I wanted to mention is non-binary people who are not necessarily transgendered or transsexual, but maybe just don't identify with any gender and, and, and that they're an important part of our community as well. And I would say a growing one too, we're seeing a larger trend of individuals in our society, in our broader society, just kind of rejecting the, the gender binary and just embracing this idea that I am a person, I am a human, um, but I don't necessarily need the identity of man or woman to complete me. So just wanted to throw that in there as, as an added piece. And I wouldn't be surprised to see us broaden the acronym again to include non-binary specifically. I'm prepared. I'm ready for all of the new letters. <laughs> I, I used to wear rainbow stuff as when I was younger. And I think before I knew really what it all meant, I was just like, I was just an ally. Um, but I, I remember people asking me if I was family. And I just, that always resonated. And it really is. It's just like this community of just inclusive people, like just come join us. We want everybody to be part of us. And I just, I love how inclusive it is. And I, I just, in my mind, I always just say family. So I love, I love that. It. I think another piece of language that we might've used was be, you'd be a good Judy. And I love the history behind that. Judy Garland, 
aka somewhere over the rainbow we all know that uh, was also an incredible ally to the lgbtq community when times were incredibly difficult there was a time where a way that you'd identify as a gay man is you just say you were a friend of dorothy and your allies were your good duties and that today is still kind of a slang that comes around. Like I call a lot of my friends, my good Judy's still. I love it. That's awesome. I had, I had a comment. I know I've been a little bit quiet. I've, I'm absorbing and learning quite a lot. I think, I think something that can be intimidating if, if you're not as familiar with the community is what do these each, like what do these letters each represent, et cetera. And I think it's important to just understand that this is just language for us to be able to open that can of worms that Fish was referring to, just to start the conversation, just to, you know, speak to these things. But a lot of the culture is about not necessarily conforming to a box or identity. And so, yes, these letters exist. And yes, it's a language for us to be able to start the conversation, but it is sort of fluid and you don't have to know specifics in order to start talking about it. Like that's part of the part of the key thing that I've learned over the years is I'm not an expert by any means and no nor will I ever become one because it's constantly evolving. And I think the key is like, you know, you're human. And so like what is it that you're into, right? What is it you do? What is it you love? How do you identify? And I I think that even as as people that can evolve with time, with age, with experiences, exposure right? Finding the right person, et cetera. Just to take the, some of that intimidation factor out of the letters when you see them, you know, it's about that openness. It's about that exploration. I think that's such a good point, Disha. And I think it's important to remember that even those of us in the community are not necessarily aware of all of the nuance of the subjectivities of others in our community. And it's always important to just with, with humility and with compassion, seek to understand someone else's subjectivity and and just ask like if you're not sure i think this kind of this goes back to a discussion of pronouns we've had with this group before you know if you're not sure of someone's pronouns just ask you know and that that's a respectful thing to ask and if you're if you're someone who's kind of from outside of our community and you don't understand what these acronyms are ask someone in the community have that frank conversation open up that door open up that can of worms to talk about some of the of those nuances, um, because I think most of us within the community are eager to have that conversation and to speak with others about what exactly this community is all about and who we all are, and and just educate people to to understand some of these details a little bit more. I can't help but think how it ties so closely to one of our core values as at Sunrun, which is to be curious, right? Be open-minded. Yeah explore, ask those questions, be vulnerable when you do. So that's also having the courage, you know, even if you're intimidated by this, like, okay, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to open myself up, be a little bit vulnerable, admit, I don't know something and ask. I think this ties into our allyship conversation. You know, how do we, how can we as allies be better allies, you know, open up those conversations in a, in a respectful and safe way? I think nowadays we have, I mean, better than ever because every year has been getting better. We have more positive and diverse representation of LGBTQ characters and people to actually kind of pull from. Pose is an absolutely amazing drama series mm -hmm. that centers around the ballroom scene, uh, which is another amazing part of queer culture and queer history. I have a, a very dear friend of mine who has a very strained relationship with her parents, unfortunately, but she's been working really hard to kind of 
help direct better conversations. And uh, something she had to talk with her mother about is, if you want to understand me, if you want to understand my community and why I'm happy here, you need to learn all of the letters. You need to learn LGBT and you need to read from those people, from the L's, from the G's, from the B's, from the T's. You need to actually listen to them. And I think we're, we're never in a better spot for that now. There's media, there's movies, there's books for all ages and all demographics. And I think now also more than ever, it can be full of joy, whereas that wasn't always the case. And public figures, right? People yes. in successful levels of society. And see, seeing that proudly on display is pretty amazing. Like recently, Demi Lovato came out as non-binary. Really, just really proud of her for finding that journey and having the courage to say that, you know? Yeah. Uh, we have Elliot Page, Laverne Cox. I mean, massive figures like RuPaul. There's, there's names out there. Look them up. They're, they're entertaining. Fish, you, you mentioned something about safe space when we're talking about pride. And you had mentioned earlier about a different kind of safe space than one that we're all typically used to. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I feel like safe space has kind of been like, like a lot of words that have come from marginalized communities. Safe space has kind of been co-opted to mean one thing. The original definition was a little more specific. The safe space definition that I feel like a lot of people are really comfortable with now is this is a safe space, aka everyone can bring all of their ideas to the table and they will not be ridiculed, they will not be cast out. We're going to have an open conversation. Now, while those kind of safe spaces are so important, there are other types of safe spaces that have been, uh, in my opinion, even more important and they represent protection. Safe spaces for LGBTQ people, for queer people growing up, can be gay straight alliances, they can be gay bars. And these are places where they can be safe knowing that they are surrounded by their peers, where they can be openly, genuinely themselves, where they can have conversations about the difficult subjects that they're going around. And that if anyone would try to intrude on that safe space with bigoted ideas, with violence, they would get rocked plainly. Safe space meant protection from violence. Gay bars, for example. I love my gay bars. I love my drag nights. I love going to a performance. There's, there's a running joke now of the bachelorette party going to the gay bar and getting kicked out by the drag queens. If you're coming to a gay bar, love to have you there. Come have a drink with us. Let's have a conversation. Don't get on the stage. It's not your party. And I feel like that's something for like a lot of allyship in any community is something to think in the back of your mind. Don't get on the stage. It's not your party. Watch the show. Enjoy it. Absorb it. This is their safe space, not necessarily yours. And that's with any community that you might be stepping and, into. And cheer for it, right? Yes, absolutely. It's never a better time. If you've never been to a drag show, go to a drag brunch. It's June. You can find one. I promise. They're so much fun. One other area that I think can be enormously helpful for allies is to really be that positive voice in the room. In other words, if someone starts to stray into territory that is not appropriate or unpleasant, you as an ally can speak up. You're there to sort of help your folks in this community, to, like Fish said, to amplify their voices. And that can be either 
you know, cutting down someone else who's using inappropriate language. It can also be in your level of support for our community. I'll give you a great example. I grew up in an extremely conservative Irish Catholic family in a small suburb of upstate New York. And my parents were not super thrilled when I came out, but my mother now, who is very, very Catholic, is um, a huge ally. And so she, you know, is a proud supporter of the Rochester Gay and Lesbian Center. She notices now when people in her assisted living facility might bring in relatives who are gay. So I think to know us is to love us and, um, you know, soak up some of that positive energy as our allies. We need you and um, just some ideas for you about how you can help us. It's a great idea. So, you know, as an ally, you can ask questions in a safe and respectful manner. You can go to pride rallies, gay bars, parades, drag shows, soak it all in, um, but don't try to steal the show and certainly always be respectful. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Lori. I think it's it's probably the most crucial way that we can and should be allies is interrupting the negative discussions, the negative comments, the microaggressions, the microinvalidations, the micro assaults, just shutting them down and, and, and letting people know that this is not appropriate. And it's certainly not appropriate around me. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I'm reminded of I, I had a little exercise with my brother who who is an ally and been working hard on being more of an ally. I think with a lot of entry level allies, we'll call it, a lot of people are like, I really want to be an ally. I don't know what to do. I don't necessarily see a lot of things because I'm friends with a couple of gay people and everything seems hunky-dory. For better or worse right now, as we see a lot of companies come out with their rainbow slogans or their rainbow logos, you can go through Facebook and you can read the comments to any major corporation or any local corporation and see what people are saying. This was an opportunity for me and my brother to have a conversation because he was like, why are, why are you on edge right now? Because this is Pride Month, it should be your week. It's like, I'm going to walk you through the Facebook comments on uh, my, the governor of Utah did a declaration actually declaring June Pride Month. And I walked my brother through the comments. And that was an uncomfortable but really eye-opening experience for him to kind of see what immediately jumps out to me. and. I feel it's important that the hate is read as well, because if we ignore that the hate is still out there, if we get complicit about it, if we say, oh, we don't need a pride this year, gay men can already marry, gay women can already marry, everything's fine. We will lose everything we fought for because everything we're fighting for, people are trying to legislate against it. And they've moved from attacking adults because we've now gotten marriage and now they're attacking kids, particularly trans kids. There's a series of bills that has kind of swept across 14 states now. I think it's actually spreading to more, which is uh, explicitly banning trans girls from competing in sports. By the way, trans people have been competing in sports since the history of sports. That has always happened because trans people have always existed. And there are continued bathroom bills. There are now bills that are being presented to prevent uh, trans kids from seeking and getting 
the medical help that they need, which has been proven to prevent deaths, to prevent suicides, to prevent long-term trauma. And people are presenting these bills to make it impossible for doctors to give these kids that access. I hammer on this, but that's because when we see Pride as a party, and it it is, I love that it's a party now. I think that's really fun. We run the risk of forgetting that the enemy is out there and they want us gone. Your point, Fish, reminds me that allyship is important both from outside the community and from within. It's important for us to show up as gay and lesbian men and women and bisexuals and anyone who maybe feels like some of their issues have already been addressed and solved to some extent or another, at least for now, because you can always backslide and support the issues that are important now, to your point. Our our trans community are the ones who are really under attack right now, uh, more so. And so it's important for us to remember as those within the community who are more privileged now, I acknowledge, you know, as a gay man, I have more privilege than a lot of my younger trans allies, that we need to support them and we need to show up to Pride events. We need to have conversations like these. We need to create those safe spaces. We need to be politically engaged to support them because if you're not, then uh, anything can happen and our community could fracture and we don't want that to happen. So allyship is super important just across the board. I think that's really well-spoken, Sean and, and Fish. It reminds me there was an article on Huffington Post the other day talking about a book by Richie Jackson called Gay Like Me, A Father Writes to His Son. And in it, he talks about how important civic engagement is. And that, just like you said, Sean, talks about the fact that we rise and fall, survive and thrive only if we all do. And so that's the value of this large community where we're all bringing each other along not sort of stepping off the train if we feel like we've achieved equality. We recognize that everybody in this large tent of ours, everyone has not achieved that. So can't say enough, not only for those in our community, but really thank you to our allies for your support in this struggle. And I think the the queer community in general saw an opportunity last year in the, the summer of 2020 in the wake of the sort of racial reawakening in this country. Uh, I'm taking this conversation somewhat intersectional, so I hope that's on on track for what we're talking about here. But we saw an opportunity to, you know, reach out to people of color in our in our nation and say, hey, like, we understand that your struggles are different than ours, but they're related in in significant ways. I think that's where we have a chance to broaden this community even more and say, hey, people of color, black African-Americans, Latinos, those who are struggling with the issues that are facing our country in terms of immigration, in terms of injustice in policing, all of these issues that that the communities of color are facing, we'll support you in your efforts and we invite you to come and join our community and support us too. We're trying to build this broader coalition of of allyship, which I think is just beautiful and so in line with, with what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I don't have any other words for that, Sean, then it's beautiful. It is It is beautiful to see people coming together and fighting for the same cause for human rights. We're all humans. 
going back to your point, Fish, a key tenet of a community to me is protecting your most vulnerable. And right now with the trans community being the most vulnerable, I think it is very, very important for us to protect them for everybody too. Very well said, I appreciate that. And then, you know, Sean, it just got chills when you were talking, like it's, it, it's so true. It, you know, the black and brown community, we, you know, we've been struggling for a long time as have the, you know, LGBTQ community. And I think, you know, it's just so important for us to work together and to fight together for human rights. It's, it's, it's a common goal. It's the rising tide that's going to lift all boats. And as we talk about vulnerable communities and our allies that like, you know, there's one community that I think is really important to talk about, and that's, that's kids and, and their parents. As we, you know, see more and more of these beautiful figures, these people that are out there that are out and proud and big part of TV. And we see these rising other characters that are sprouting up leads in movies. We're getting scripts of trans people, of, of lesbian, of gay people. Like kids are going to see that, right? Like it's, it's, it's around, it's here. We're unboxing the, <laughs> the binaries and, you know, naturally they have curiosity way better than ours. So Disha here, who's another proud ally, is a mother of a child uh, who's very cute and inquisitive. And I'm curious to hear what that experience is like. Yeah, every day is a new adventure, obviously, with children. He's almost turning five. He's asking us questions that we are hardly equipped to answer. And I'm talking about in all forms of, you know, in all realms of life. What's a cylinder? It's like, uh, I don't know where to begin, right? So anyway, he'll ask you stuff all the time. And it'll it's just a matter of what he gets exposed to, what he sees through limited exposure to like TV and stuff, but kids at school, conversations that he might overhear, and conversation he hears from us as, as parents, right? I'm looking forward to the day where we talk about this. He hasn't necessarily asked specific questions yet. We're a mixed race couple. So we're like, you know, love is love. We're open to any concept there. And you should love all humans, be kind to everyone, etc. Like that's how, that's the tenant we're raising him on. But a friend of mine who has a five, maybe going on six-year-old, she said last week that she got asked, what is gay? Mom, what is gay? By six-year-old, yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, you know how like mommy loves daddy. Sometimes there's a daddy and a daddy or a mommy and a mommy or any combination, right? And he was like- It seems like a very positive way to describe it to a five or six-year-old, right. right? It's like when a man loves another man. And he said, oh, like me and Jacob. At, that's his best friend at school. And she was like, uh, <laughs> um, kind of. <laughs> but it was just so sweet that he immediately had an example in his mind that, you know, yeah, I love somebody too. That's like me and my best friend. I love that though, because I, I think that's something that's really beautiful about kids that as adults, we kind of get a little overdefined on what love is. Yeah. And kids see love as such a broader, more inclusive subject. It's so pure. Um, yeah what I think would be a great response to the awkward uh, is just like, maybe. Mm -hmm. Embrace the maybe. Make more room for nuance and complicatedness. In my experience with kids, they are not, it, they're not nearly as intimidated by the concept of people being non-binary, by the concept of people being lesbian or gay, as adults are. Mm -hmm. They're fascinated by it. And they go, Oh, that's really? neat. And then they're going to hop off and play blocks or kickball. Make room for the maybes. 
Yeah, I think that's a great call out, the maybes. And 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 fluidity, especially like kids, in my view, uh, in literature that I've read, kids by nature are incredibly fluid and embrace it and, and don't be scared by it. Let them let them have space to be them. And I mean, especially like be prepared. Uh, you might be blessed to have a queer child and that is going to be one of the most amazing experiences for you. I think if that, if that might happen to, to anyone listening, though, it's a rough comment to see. It's something that I see very frequently in my community where I grew up, which is I I'm fine with my gay friends, but I don't want them talking to my kids. I don't want them shoving it in my kid's face. And the response that I've gotten very passionate about lately is before I am a, a gay genderqueer man. Now I was a gay kid. And what would have helped me so much growing up would have been the normalization of these conversations. Because until I was really basically 20, I lived in isolation with maybe a couple other people, some of which I had seen taken off to troubled teen camps or to other religious institutions, most yep. of which do not speak to their parents. They have completely cut off gay kids exist yeah yeah and they just want to to be able to have these conversations and not be attacked for it and they're not nearly as scary as i feel like a lot of adults want to approach it as there's a lot of great kids books yeah i'd like to get into that but i think the key reason folks get scared or maybe intimidated by this concept and i'll admit maybe this is part of me too right is like i i want to educate him so that he can make choices of his own mm -hmm. as he grows without influencing him, but also not just saying, I, I don't know, that's the key. It's like, I don't, I don't want to accidentally suggest he might be gay. Is that yeah. like, you know what I mean? I don't want to mm -hmm. push him towards something. And then it's like, wait, you know, is that really how you feel? Or am I just, you know, so I, I want, I want to be able to, as I mean, I'm just saying, this is how probably a lot of parents approach this. They get nervous about, am I, Am I doing something to influence their thinking? And of course, as a parent, you are constantly influencing their thinking. But the, the key is, how do I have open open conversations, right? How do we open their minds to this? So I think lit books are great, because that's where he learns everything about dinosaurs and cylinders. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think books are a great place to start. It's so relatable to them if they don't necessarily have anybody in their life you know, that is queer. Um, my husband's best friend from college is gay. We know this, you know, he sometimes talks about folks he might be dating, but it he's my son has never met a partner, you know, like, oh, meet my my meet my part meet my partner. So he doesn't he hasn't been able to conceptualize the idea. So yeah, books is a great place for us to start. I would challenge sorry, I'm just gonna be that person right Do now. It. <laughs> challenge what you what you said about I don't want to inadvertently, you know, like suggest that he might be gay or Put that on him. Like I don't want to sway him either way. Right. Like, allow right. him to be himself. But the challenge is, don't you think society is already trying to sway him in one way? Like it's a heavy sway. That, yeah, and like the way that we talk about things. There's so many parents that I know that don't want to broach this subject, right? Because it's 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 complicated and it's messy, and they don't quite know how to talk about it. So I can understand that fear, but at the same time, they're still asking their kid, you know, their their little girl, like. 
are there any boys you have a crush on? You know, so you already are having that conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point and a great thing for as a parent to acknowledge. We've worked hard. I mean, so you can see the influences of society, but at the same time, we've worked hard to make Keanu feel comfortable in his own skin. He grew his hair out really long recently. He just got it cut because it was getting in his eyes and he couldn't play Lego effectively. He loves pink. Pink is one of his favorite colors. We're fine with that. He prefers Minnie Mouse over Mickey. Sure. He thinks Mickey is just Minnie wearing different clothes, which is adorable. But yeah, like that's that's kind of like the world I want him to live in is that like, don't don't be bound by what everyone's expecting you to think or say. He wanted a dollhouse. We bought him a dollhouse. Like that's how we're going to do this, you know? I think that's exactly what you should be doing. And again, like like Nicole pointed to, I don't think there's anything as a reasonable parent that you can do to force your to to, to have an undue influence. <laughs> but aside from sexuality, even like I, I love hearing growing up, like so many of my friends who were, were boys, like like they also like pink. They also like things that were considered girly. And so many of them were shamed out of it. None of them were gay except for me. It's just like make space for like make space for your kids to be kids and enjoy that. And don't force the the gender roles that you grew up with onto them. Let them blossom. Yeah, let them blossom. I think that's key. Keep them curious. Let them blossom. I think that when when the day comes, when the time comes, I'm excited about having the conversation with him and exploring for, for exploring this. Yeah, I know. I'm excited for now. The day it comes, I'll be, of course, nervous. We recently talked to him about, he, he saw a photo of a family pet that had passed away years ago. So we talked about oh. death and now he's so obsessed with death and just like talking about it all the time. So I know that when these topics come up, it'll be an interesting few. It's not going to go away like that quickly. Like he's going to be curious and he's going to want to talk about it. And I think it's going to be important because he could then, you know, explore his own identity, help his friends, you know, in any way he can be supportive of his friends and and folks that he gets to know in life. So <laughs> it's quite quite the journey these little kids are on these days. It's a, different, it's a different world and I hope it continues to get better for them. Agreed. Speaking as an uncle, uh, not a father, but as a very proud uncle of a three, almost four year old, I can say that from watching my sister raise her kid and being involved in his life from a very young age, and my husband is too, one of the most important things you can do is just facilitate those age-appropriate conversations about diversity as the child grows up and they're able to understand, you know, more and more nuanced and complex aspects of diversity and of queer issues and such. And that's exactly what we do with Ashton. All he knows is that Uncle Sean and Uncle Chris are married just like his parents and come to visit him periodically. And they come, in fact, they're coming later this month to visit us and that we play with him and that we are a family just like his family is. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just like the world that he's growing up in. And I honestly, like I envy him too, is because he's growing up in a world where that is normal and that is validated. And I hope he gets more examples of diversity in his life beyond just what we can provide him because I think it's so important just for them to have that exposure and, and see that as normal. And as far as his own development, we make sure that, that he understands that, you know, to, to the point that everyone else here has made as well, that 
whatever he wants to explore, you know, he's, he's a kid. He doesn't have to commit to any firm identity from the age of three. You know, he has, he has a long time to figure out who he is, who's, who he's going to be, who he's going to become and whatever he chooses, whoever he chooses to love, however he chooses to identify, we will support him and love him as, as his family. And so that's just kind of the message that, that we convey. I hope that, that a lot of parents out there are doing that, are just giving kids the space they need to explore their identities in, in safe environments and safe spaces and, and just figure it out for themselves. Because that's, that's all we can all do, you know? As parents, you do not have to be the monolith and the sole researcher and the like the, the sole support for all of this. Uh, reach out, look at your your local LGBTQ organization. I guarantee you there's one in a major city near you. And I also guarantee you that they have support groups for parents of gay kids. And I guarantee you if you are raising kids and you just want to enter into those conversations as I want to make sure that my kid grows up being in a more accepting world than I grew up in you will be welcome in those conversations. That's such great advice. Thank you all for being here. Great conversation. Um, and, and really just, you know, hope we get some information out there to help some people. Thanks so much. Thanks.